Welcome to What's on the Block, a podcast hosted by X4 Technology, getting answers to the biggest questions on blockchain and the metaverse. The virtual world has a global community of innovators, and we are here to tell you what they're up to. My name is Maxine Ewing, and I'm here with Thiago Caesar to talk about crypto's impact on the economy. Thiago, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Maxine. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for booking the time. Thiago is CEO at Transfero Group, whose primary mission is to facilitate and foster the adoption of digital assets, offering services in payments, crypto, and asset management. So to start off, a big, very loaded question. What impact has cryptocurrency had for entrepreneurs reaching international markets? When we talk about crypto, maybe in the developing countries in the U.S., developed countries, actually, in the U.S. or Europe, I think a lot of the applications being developed in those areas, they are related to crypto in terms of investment, new financial instruments for, well, making money or derivatives. Whereas in developing countries, you had crypto as an instrument for liberty in a sense, right? So, for example, an entrepreneur in, um, in Latin America, for example, he wouldn't be able maybe to get funded or even to pay his remote co-workers if he didn't have uh, crypto. There is a company called Bitwage, for example. They are basically doing that. So a lot of uh, uh, people who are working out of LATAM and other developing countries, they're actually getting their salaries paid in Bitcoin because they wouldn't be able to receive any type of salary whatsoever because their countries either have capital controls or they have rampant inflation. So they have to protect their wealth with that Bitcoin. Crypto enabled this global financial industry to actually reach the most, I would say, uh, uh, hidden places on earth, right? I mean, as long as you have access to the internet, as long as you have a mobile wallet, you can get paid for work you do remotely. You can send money to people. So that's, for me, one of the biggest impacts that crypto brought to entrepreneurs. And it sounds like this is still valuable despite, you know, the fluctuations in price and the, you know, recent downturn that we've all seen. I think volatility is something that is inherent to the the crypto markets, right? As they are growing bigger, I mean, the market cap is getting larger. Uh, fluctuations will be less of a thing. If we compare like the crypto space back in 13, 14, fluctuations were way bigger, right? Uh, and now, of course, it's still a very volatile market. But once you start comparing, for example, the volatility of, let's say, Bitcoin with the volatility of some emerging countries' currencies, Bitcoin is not that bad anymore. That's the reality. Like maybe for a person who lives in Venezuela, Bitcoin is like top stable for <laughs> compared to their own uh, uh, currency. So I would say that uh, from another angle as well, you have access to capital, right? So uh, before crypto, how would you actually invest on a startup coming out of Peru or Bolivia? Uh, you would basically like struggle to actually get hold of financial instruments that could actually touch those markets. And now with crypto, the entrepreneur can only like publish his uh, deck. He can publish his, let's say, Bitcoin address or another crypto address. And anyone in, anyone in the world can actually fund that initiative. So that's a huge impact, right? So would you say it's the funding component or the access to pay component that's making more inclusive economies as a result of crypto? Or is that too much of a leap? From my background, of course, LATAM, I can see that happening, right? 
I wouldn't say it's a big of a leap. I think that's the reality, to be honest. If you think a bit more in a macroeconomic term, there's so much liquidity in the crypto markets, right? And we see the liquidity pouring to pro- into projects from those regions, from those emerging markets. Like you have projects in Turkey, you have projects in Southeast Asia, you have projects in Latin America that are only able to get funding because there is this crypto economy behind it actually looking actively to invest in those uh, uh, initiatives. And due to this, let's say, extraterritoriality of crypto, right? The fact that it doesn't have any borders, those investments can actually be made. Uh, It's not uncommon to see uh, companies that raised money in USDT or in USDC, right, in stablecoins, instead of actually receiving wires, right? So that's more and more common. You've touched on this quite a bit, but generally speaking, what has the crypto space as a whole had on developing nations? What has the impact been on developing nations for crypto? And I think a lot of people that are going to be tuning in are going to be coming from all over the world. Some people are going to have a very different experience with crypto than others. So, you know, specifically related to developing nations, how is crypto directly impacting them and how might it impact them in the future? Back in 13, during uh, doing my master's degree at the University of London, I actually wrote on, first, it was very complicated to convince the university to accept a thesis about Bitcoin, right? But then I managed uh, because there were no primary sources. Everything was like on, on internet forums, right? And, and I actually wrote there that, uh, crypto would be this big financial tool for internationalizing developing economies. And the examples I gave were, of course, the salary paying, Bitcoin, all that stuff. But if you think about impacts, uh, I would say, yeah, number one, the access to funding. I, I, I clearly saw that, especially in Brazil, uh, venture capital before crypto was very limited. Basically, the local funds would invest very small checks, I mean, compared to the world economy, and they would actually invest only in projects that were already profitable. So it was not really venture capital, you know, it was more like base interest rates in Brazil, they were always high. So the economic calculus for a a fund was basically, hey, I either buy treasury bonds from the Brazilian government and I make 10% a year or 15% a year, or I invest in the startup. So they were only looking for startups that were profitable. And so liquidity was very constrained to this micro environment, right, to this country. But then came crypto and then came all those crypto funds and then uh, liquidity started pouring. And now we see a more spread out and and also like bigger tickets, average checks are are way bigger than in the past. So that's one of the impacts. Uh, Another impact that you can you can you can see when you talk about a national level is something that I also like thought it would happen one day, which was treasuries from emerging countries actually acquiring crypto and putting crypto into their balance sheet in a sense, right? So we have recent news that the government of Rio de Janeiro plans to allocate at least 1% of the treasury of the city uh, into crypto, most probably Bitcoin. That's information given by the mayor of Rio, right? So um, those things, they change a society, right? Those things, they start paving a way to a new uh, paradigm. So I always thought that when central banks or when uh, uh, national treasuries, they start putting crypto into their balance sheets, right? then then there is no return. Then the next step is the digitalization of of the economy. Then the next step is like a global integration of that economy. So 
I think most of those impacts that we see now on a micro level, let's say on a venture capital perspective or on a salaries or finance movement perspective, will be expanded to a macro level. Those movements will change nations, right? I really believe there are some nations who that will question themselves and say, why do we have our own national currency? We should just basically have, you know, this mix of a basket of cryptos and then peg our currency to that or El Salvador, for example, right? I mean, it might be this like small case study, but I mean, it's a sovereign nation that is actually taking giant steps in the direction of Bitcoinizing their their country. So um, we might see those impacts actually happening in 10, 20 years on a much larger scale. One question I've always had is why cryptocurrency? And I think there's a, a million reasons as to why cryptocurrency seems to be the thing that is working uh, to create this international currency. But, you know, could you vocalize that a little bit for us? I mean, I'm, I'm a Bitcoin fan, right? I started way back in 13. So one of the ideas that people, they, they, they forget is that Bitcoin or crypto in general was the first example, I mean, at least mainstream example of scarcity on a digital environment, right? So that's what makes crypto different from a picture on your phone, which you can basically copy paste. And there is no stamp saying that that picture is a, is, it's, it's its own file, right? That it's a, an individual file. Uh, crypto is different. Crypto, every unit is a unique unit, right? It's an individual unit and creating scarcity and uniqueness, let's say, on a digital environment is one of the biggest innovations in crypto. It was just natural that once you have those fundamentals on, on a network that is permissionless, right, where anyone can get in and out, scalable to a certain extent, of course, it will improve with the, within, in the future, but very scalable. This technology or this framework would actually take that place, right? Because if you think like in the past, internet gave us, let's say, uh, global reach for what we spoke about, right? So you could publish like, when internet came, you could actually access a forum and out of your house in Brazil, you could be posting something that would be read by the Japanese or the Chinese or the Russians or I mean, Americans and everyone. So I would say information became very fluid globally. But finance was not fluid globally, right? Even with internet, if you get the example, oh, then people say, but, oh, but you, have, you have PayPal for it. Like, seriously, like if you want to fund, for example, maybe the movement of truckers in Canada with PayPal, they will embargo your card and you cannot actually send your own money to those guys. But with crypto, you can. The real freedom in terms of movement came with crypto, right? For being this permissionless uh, network based on digital scarcity. So that's that's why it's so innovative, right? I mean, that's why I would say it is crypto that did this. We've talked a lot about the advantages of crypto. Are there any disadvantages that are very apparent to you? Or where is crypto currently falling short in this mission to be this international currency that could be implemented on a much broader scale than we have seen so far? As any new technology and as any new, I would say, uh, uh, network, it has its downsides, right? So, for example, today, the asymmetry of information, which is something that you're helping to reduce with the podcast, is still biting a lot of people, right? So one of the biggest problems that are not inherent to crypto, but are related somehow to crypto, is that in a lot of developing countries, people are misusing crypto promotes scams, right? And and the hype and this euphoria 
uh, is also being channeled into scammy uh, projects that just take advantage of the hype. Uh, so this is a downside uh, that unfortunately any new technology can face. And due to the fact that it's global by nature and frictionless by nature and permissionless by nature, it can be more exploited by individuals who are not well-intentioned. Crypto is global. Crypto is everywhere. So it also leaves room for the same way you want to fund a good cause, you can also use crypto to fund a bad cause, right? So accountability and enforcement are things that will be improved over the years, but that that are still not there, right? So those are the downsides, but they will be solved eventually. Like I think when credit cards were created, right, that you had that piece of plastic, that it would go to a restaurant and they would have that, uh, just basically this paper with an ink, right, where they would store your credit card data and then process that transaction later. Uh, crypto is a bit like that at the moment, right? Uh, it's in this early stage uh, where frauds might be prevalent and everything, but it's undeniable that the potentials are they outweigh by far uh, the downsides. And of course, like uh, volatility, as you said, some people will deal with that. Some people will uh, even uh, benefit from that. But a lot of people who are not doing their own research or are not prepared for such a sophisticated uh, instrument might uh, actually have financial severe financial losses if they're not careful in what they're doing in the crypto space. Uh, I must say that those are not inherent to crypto but they are characteristic in the crypto market, right? So yeah, it's what I see. Bringing up volatility, I know we talked about this earlier. I think that's very salient right now at this part of the conversation. What advice do you have for people who are preparing to deal with the volatility, especially as you know we've made clear that cryptocurrency is, of course, here to stay and is, of course, of course going to be an international economic beast? What can people do to prepare for this volatility can they expect the volatility to be a permanent part of crypto? How is that going to change? Well, I think there are stages. Uh, volatility will decrease, at least for the top market cap cryptocurrencies, uh, as long as, as the timeline advances. Well, number one, like if you're actually receiving your salaries uh, in crypto, let's say you work in a developing country and you get paid in Bitcoin because you cannot actually get paid through the traditional means and it's more efficient and cheaper. Well, uh, try to be reasonable and actually uh, cash out a good part of that salary into your own currency still because you will pay your bills, you will pay your taxes, you have your costs of living based on that national currency, right? So, um, <laughs> but don't do it 100% if possible. Try to keep a bit of that crypto because the upside potential is quite good. But uh, there, there is, uh, I would say, people who use it as more as a transactional method and they actually have to do their account accounting in their local currencies, they should be quick to convert it to fiat as soon as possible and, and hedge their risk, right? But if you're thinking from an investment perspective that that amount of money that you're separating to invest in crypto is not actually something that will affect your life or, or, or damage your, your, your personal finance, then volatility is part of the process. Who lived this world like in the 15, 16, 17, and saw all the crashes, saw Bitcoin going from 82,000, then back to 200, then it went to 10K, and uh, you just have to stomach in a, in a sense. And it, it is a volatile uh, instrument. Maybe that's why a lot of people shouldn't keep 100% of their investments into crypto. They should have a more, uh, I would say, uh, sensible allocation between multiple instruments from an investment perspective. But if you do uh, have crypto, 
volatility is part of the game. Right now, we are on this downtrend, right? I think a lot of people are talking about some crypto winter coming and everything. I mean, there were many crypto winters. And if you actually believe in the fundamentals and every, every all the potential that this technology can offer, uh, volatility is part of it. It's, it's just the reality. So in the next two to three years, what do you think will be the impact of cryptocurrency on the macro economy? I would say that within three years, we might see one of the top five economies in the world openly declaring that they actually have at least Bitcoin or some form of cryptocurrency in their balance sheet or in their treasury. I would say that would be one of the macroeconomic impacts. I would, I would try to point out any generational impact, but then three years is not enough for that. But I really believe that generations in the future, they will be much less reliant on fiat currencies and much more re relying much more on cryptocurrencies than new generations there are to come. Another thing that I see on the next three years is the emergence of more stable coins that are pegged into their own uh, fiat country, national fiat currencies, right? And that will have a more stable coin-driven uh, economy. So I strongly believe that a lot of the import and export uh, conducted by two nations, let's say an exotic country like Brazil and another exotic country like Turkey, for example, they will start to settle their trades bilaterally with stable coins. I mean, companies will be able to do that. Whereas today, they have to do it through the dollar, right? They have to go from their own currency to the dollar, then the dollar to the target currency. And that might affect the balance of power in the world. If you throw that on top of everything that is happening, happening already now, right, with countries challenging other countries in several spheres, uh, we might see some very unstable world, uh, world in, in three years in that sense. That was Thiago Caesar. Tune in next week to stay in the loop with What's on the Block.